Prepare yourself for Earthling Entertainment with your hosts, Joe and Ryan. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Earthling Entertainment. Not just another episode, but the Halloween episode. I'm Joe, and I'm here, as always, with my best buddy, Ryan. That's me. It's true, that is him. Happy Halloween, everybody. Happy Halloween. <laughs> it's, uh, we were just saying, it's uh, technically, if you count our first review of uh, the new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, Mutant Mayhem. Yeah, we did a bonus episode that literally was just a review of that film. So if you count that, this is technically episode 13. Yes, this is the 13th episode. And today, my friends, is Halloween. I question the wisdom of doing a Halloween episode on Halloween because most people might not listen to it on Halloween and then how many people are going to be interested after Halloween. But then I noticed that the Simpsons normally do their Treehouse of Horror Halloween episode. It's always the first weekend in November. I don't know if that's poor planning or what, but, you know, if they can do it, so could we, damn it. That's right. And everybody that everybody figures, I've always heard the Simpsons Halloween is the best ones. I'm not really a big Simpsons watcher myself. But I always hear those are the best ones. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like they take an anthology format and they do, you know, three stories that are usually based around Halloween. Although in recent years, I, I've noticed that they just kind of they parody movies a lot. And that's fine. But some of them aren't even Halloween movies. And it just I'm, you know, I like the classic Halloween episodes that if it wasn't directly based in or around Halloween, it was at least scary. I mean. You know, as scary as the Simpsons cartoon is going to get. I remember watching a couple of them and they were pretty morbid. They, they don't hold back. Well, well, how you can tell is uh, some of them over the years, they've gone back and forth with it. But it's whether or not the episode has blood. Some of the old ones, they'll actually show walls bleeding and like, you know, they'll never show like blood gushing out of someone. But there'll be like a pool of blood. Whereas some of the new ones, it's like a clean cut. Like everyone gets their severed head with like a lightsaber or something. Yeah, you know, you don't, you just don't see that many uh, Halloween dedicated uh, episodes anymore, I feel like. Well, you know, I, I bought this DVD. Yeah, I'm, I'm that kind of guy. So I bought this DVD yes. and it was all the <laughs> Halloween episodes from various, I'm sure it was. NBC, ABC, I'm sure it was like some particular, you know, company's lineup, but I know that it had like Roseanne and I Dream of Jeannie and just very old shows, but it was the Halloween episode from all of them. And then it went uh, as far as early 2000s with, I think, that 70s show. So very dated, but if you just pop it in and just play, you kind of feel like, hey, Halloween, woo! I don't know. I'm, I'm for like them bringing back like shows like Tales from the Crypt and stuff. Those are my kind of... Well, Halloween you know, shows. Well, they, they, see, they have Halloween episodes, but they themselves are not Halloween. But I agree with Tales from the Crypt. I heard they were bringing it back, but they were not going to bring back the Crypt Keeper. That was a few years ago. I don't know if that actually anything came it of It probably that. fell through the tanker. Well, it's just, it's bad to change the format. It's like when they did Unsolved Mysteries on Netflix, and we no longer had like a really weird narration of a guy walking in a trench coat in an alley, which is awesome. And, and that was the best part of the show. Unsolved Mysteries. Who were these people? That, that show would scare the shit out of you when you were younger. Yeah, it was really <laughs> random because sometimes that show they would have like a serial killer and like a, or like a, you know, this husband killed this wife or something that was real. And then another one, they'll be like, were they abducted by Satan? And you're like, oh my God, if that's real, what's real? What is real? Quite, you know, I had a 10 year old Joe watching the sci-fi channel, which my dad fully supported. 
I, I question it. <laughs> They're just asking questions. Just asking questions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, guys. So if you're new to the show, Earthling Entertainment, what we do here is we like to cover the spooky stuff, some cryptozoology, some haunting, some aliens, something like that. And then the other half of the show is dedicated to entertainment, whether it be movies, music, video games, and some of its news, some of its fun little, you know, what are we doing a game today? We're doing a game on trick or treat. That is trick or treat, not trick or treat. There was a movie in the 80s, trick or treat. This is the one with the uh, cute little pumpkin headed guy. That was the anthology film. It was Sam, right? Wasn't that his name? That, you know, I'm glad that's not a question in our quiz. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but in any case, uh, there you go. So, you know, that's our show and we're happy to do it. And today's show, because it's Halloween, is going to be very Halloween oriented centric uh, halloween centric we'll say centric yes yes this uh th- yet again joe has found stuff that i haven't even heard of before so i'm excited to learn myself as i read along to you all so let us begin with spooky stuff spooky stuff the char man no matter where you're from you probably grew up daring other children to test the supernatural by doing some dare like bloody mary or some other urban legend. Well, if you happen to be from the area around Ojai, California, you probably shouted the words, help me, off of a bridge as a way to invite the legendary Charman to come attack you. Now, to be clear, this is not to be confused with the Pokemon Charmander, which is a little lizard with a flame on his tail. No. No, no, this is a horribly burnt devil creature. While Ojai, California, is home to many legends and tales from a blood-drenched ghost bride to a headless motorcyclist, the most famous specter from this area is undoubtedly the Charman. No one is entirely sure where, whether he's a ghost or a mortal man who's been burned beyond recognition and driven to insanity. Mortal man. Burned beyond recognition and driven to insanity by his past trauma. <laughs> However, stories of the Charman attacking travelers in this part of California have circulated around campfires for decades. So, if you find yourself in Ojai, California, and you want to test your luck, this is the story of the Charman and how you just might be able to find him. The origin of the Charman, as is the case with nearly every legend that ever been told, there are differing versions of the story of the Charman. However, almost all of the versions involve someone being badly burned. I'm very badly burned. (laughs) (laughs) One version of this legend is said to have occurred in 1948. As it goes, there was once a horrible fire in Ohio that burned up a good portion of the town. The fire eventually reached a house that was far outside of town where a father and son lived. However, no one in the town remembered to help the father and son until it was too late. That sucks, right? Were they like town pariahs? Were they just like not liked? It's very sad. I mean, just in the madness of it all, man, it's, you know, anything could happen. Oh, shit, we forgot about Greg. Damn. (laughs) <laughs> sorry, Greg. That's a, damn. All right. Damn. Sorry, Greg. The, the father was burned to death, and the son was horribly burned, but remained alive. However, the trauma of seeing his father die and the excruciating pain of the burns 
caused the sun to go insane. As one does. By the time the authorities arrived, the son had skinned his father's body and hung it from a tree. <laughs> As the officers looked I, upon... I don't mean to laugh. It just seems like an extreme reaction. That... Oh, my God. I can't believe you're in so much pain. Well, better skin you. That was rather rash. <laughs> As the officers looked upon the horrible scene, the son burst out of a bush and attacked them. And ran off into the woods to become the Char Man. I'm sorry. <laughs> the I... new guys in the corner throwing his brains up. I just, <laughs> I just imagine this guy being like, wait, 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 that, Seeing a man that is just burned alive, you know, just <laughs> running at you butt naked. It's not funny. It's horrible. Like, the cops, didn't, like, they've got guns and shit. They couldn't even react. <laughs> Sorry. Just continue. The second version of the story also takes place in 1948. Again, there was a massive fire that consumed a good portion of the town of Ohio. In one specific household, a man and a woman were both caught in the fire. The man was able to escape the fire, but he was so badly injured from his burns that he could not move. As the man lay in his yard outside the, the reach of the fire, he could hear his wife screaming, help me, from inside the burning house. Yet, he could do nothing to save her. The experience of hearing his wife burn to death and the pain of the burns led the man to become the terrible monster now known as the Char Man. Well, you want to know how to get me to stop laughing? Tell that story. Jesus, that one's freaking horrible. That's pretty sad. Yeah. It I, is, it I is don't worth, like that one. It is worth noting that there actually was a major fire documented in Ohio in 1948, and some claim that the Charman may have been a firefighter that lost his life in the fire. However, there were no recorded casualties of the fire, which doesn't help the credibility of these stories. Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to tell people you left a dude and his dad up in the woods and they burnt to death? Just like, like, you know what? Maybe we don't report that one. Kind of sounds like a local legend. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, just some kids made it up. Totally, totally, totally. Uh, so, <laughs> another version of the story is a bit less dramatic and is said to take place sometime in the 1950s. In this version, the Charman is a man whose car broke down and burst into flames, badly burning him. After that, the Charman took off into the woods and terrorizes drivers who crossed the same bridge that he was burned on. Finally, the most plausible version of this story is one that has been uh, posited by local law enforcement. According to some police officers in Ohio, there was a man who lived in the community in the 1960s that was stricken with a very bad case of skin cancer, which caused deformities. Sadly, local youths were scared by the man's disfigurements and began making up stories about the man. The Charman's legacies, regardless of where exactly the Charman came from, his legacy is pretty uniform among Ojai residents today. He is said to attack motorists traveling through Camp Comfort County Park. The park sits just south of Ojai, and one particular bridge within the park has now earned the name Charman Bridge among local residents. 
It has become a local sport among Ojai residents to stop their cars on the bridge at night and start screaming, help me, which is fucked up because that's the most fucked up story a part of this. <laughs> out of all of them? Out yeah, of all of them that, is, that the one is, the is the one they're referencing into the surrounding darkness. And if you consider the origin story in which the Charman heard his wife screaming, help me, while being burned to death, that's not a very nice thing to do. That's that was my point. Yeah, yeah. That's I like fucked how fucked up. You know, you got to it just a little bit before the article. Yep, yep. I see, so I'm on point here. Anyway, so, some have claimed that after screaming into the wilderness, they will see a figure come running at them out of the woods. <laughs> that is terrifying. That's terrifying, dude. Just, you missed, sorry. I just you put in my head that the guy was naked, and now I just imagine him screaming as he's just running towards you, this horribly burnt naked man, and I just can't help but laugh. With the voice of sloth. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I have no idea how to handle that image. Continue. Fuck, uh, dude. Fuck. Happy yeah, Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween. This is horrifying. Oh. Uh,. In reported encounters, he's a badly burned man with horrible scars. In other reports, the man is still actively on fire. So his orange <laughs> glow that is scary. can be seen deep in the woods before he gets closer. <laughs> yeah, that's fucking petrifying. That's, a, that's actually really scary. Yeah, that uh, part is. As the legend goes, if you aren't able to get out of there quick enough, the Charman will come beating and scratching on the windows of your car if he's able to successfully break through the window, he'll drag you out of the car and skin you alive. I mean, it's just the practical thing to do. I mean, that's what the... So it's like they've mixed both stories. Because the first story was like, that's what the son did to the father. Yeah, which I still he... wonder why he did that to the father. Like, your death was so tragic. Plus, if he's seeing his dad burned to death, kind of like made him go crazy, well, then why the hell... Did he have skin to get skinned? Like, don't isn't that the first thing that goes when you get burnt? I don't know. I mean, when you're that burned, just peels right off. Yeah, so maybe this guy got a bad rap. Maybe he didn't do anything, but like they're like, oh my god, they skinned him, and he's just like, no, he was in the fire, you idiot. And one of the officers that was standing there when he ran up buck naked is like, dude, no, <laughs> fastest kid alive, <laughs> fastest kid alive. Ugh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 bro, you don't even know. Like, they, you know, they. That's where, that's where the tale comes from. It comes from a couple of officers who pissed their pants when this fucking kid, like, went, you know, from madness from his, you know, his father burning alive in front of him and him being burned up, run at them buck naked, and they don't do shit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't think I would do anything either. I think I would hide. I don't know. Or it would catch you off guard. You don't know what you would do. It'd just be hilarious. That was uh, a that was a good spooky stuff, bud. Oh man, I never laughed so hard during a spooky stuff. That was it? pretty <laughs> funny to envision, though. It's true. Uh, all right. Well, you know what, guys? To uh, continue our Halloween journey, we are going to uh, do uh, not spooky stuff. Excuse me. Tales from Halloween history. Tales from Halloween history. Yes, yes. So, um. <clears throat> I want to talk a little bit about this. So I don't know if you guys notice, but there's a thumbnail with a unique photo for this episode. Uh, Apple Podcasts, a few other ones do not show it. I know Spotify does. And if you see our post on Facebook, you'll see it. But on this uh, photo. And on the gram. Yeah, and on Instagram. It is Ryan and I from when we were in high school 
And uh, so there was this party in 2002. It was a Halloween dance at the school. And I know it was our sophomore year. Uh, and we, because I went as myself, I have a cutout photo of myself as a mask and Ryan had this very sweet white mask and we just took a picture cause they had the Polaroids, the free Polaroids, like, you know, some school dances. And I think I just had some hot topic bondage pants and a bondage shirt. Um, yeah. That was my costume. I mean, it was fun, right? Oh, cause like we, we were, we were, we went stag and we had a lot of fun because, you know, no one really had dates to that dance cause everyone wore costumes and it was just, it was more of like a hangout. So, you know, you were my date, Joe. See, that's, you know, that's what I'm trying to get people not to think, Ryan. Jesus Christ. Anyways, um, so I just I wanted to comment on... <laughs> I knew it. So I just wanted to comment on that photo because it's just kind of cool because it's like 21 years ago and we were hanging out on Halloween and here we are doing it today, doing this awesome podcast. Hell yeah. Tales of Halloween history. There is much debate around the origins of trick-or-treating. But generally, there are three theories. The first theory suggests that during Samhain, Celtic people would leave food out to appease the spirits traveling the earth at night. Over time, people began to dress as these unearthly beings in exchange for similar offerings of food and drink. The second theory speculates that the candy boon stems from the Scottish practice of guising, which is a secular version of souling. During the Middle Ages, generally, children and poor adults would collect food and money from local homes in return for prayers for the dead on All Souls Day. Geysers dropped the prayers in favor of non-religious practices in the inclusion of songs, jokes, and other tricks. Oh, that's where the tricks come from. A third theory <laughs> argues that modern American trick-or-treating stems from bell-snickling, a German-American Christmas tradition where children would dress in costume and then call on their neighbors to see if the adults could guess the identities of the disguised. In one version of the practice, the children were rewarded with food or other treats if one could identify them. I'm sorry, if no one could identify them. Well, all right. I mean, I think I actually heard about all those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just kind of fun, you know what I mean? How all these different traditions kind of formed into what we do today, which is commercialism and candy. Yeah, I always uh, I always thought another one that wasn't in there, I don't know, I heard the tale that it was like, we dress up so that the spirits think that we're one of them so they don't kill us or like in you know yeah there uh that was one of the i think the old celtic rituals yeah basically was Uh, yeah you dressed up i don't want to say too much because i don't want to be wrong but yeah they dressed up to basically blend in with the other spirits that were roaming about so they didn't get attacked because the veil between the living and the dead is thinnest that tonight tonight is it tonight or was it last night because tonight's halloween but last night it would have turned to halloween at midnight so i don't know right that's why I, when I'm writing rant, because I want to write this uh, a holiday movie, and I never know when to do it. Like, you know, do you set it on Halloween Eve or Christmas Eve, or do you set it on the holiday? Like, which one is better and more magical? You should uh, give it a Google while, uh, while I'm reading the second Halloween story here. No, I won't. But continue. No? Uh, <laughs> fine. Ahem. A real 1980s Halloween horror story. 
1974, eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien died on Halloween evening after eating candy laced with cyanide. But the story has an even more horrific twist. It turned out the candy was poisoned by Timmy's father, Ronald, who was in financial trouble and had taken out insurance policies on his children. In addition to Timmy, Ronald O'Brien gave poison candy to four other children, including his daughter Elizabeth. Thankfully, none of them ate it. O'Brien was executed by lethal injection in 1984. Yeah, F that guy. Yeah, it's it's a dark, really sad story. I mean, I don't know, because life insurance policy right like what was his thought there that because oh he died of poison candy well no one else in the neighborhood like even if you did poison those four other kids like they're they're all connected to you it's not like you i mean if he would wanted to i'm glad he didn't but if he wanted to he poisons all his candy gives them out on halloween then he kills his kid and like half their neighborhood and then his kid's just one of the victims but then you're definitely going to hell i mean you're going to hell beforehand but like mass murder of children well you can't yeah that's horrible you can't you can't get past that one like so yeah there's no accepting jesus christ as your personal savior after that shit and why did he kill the other two kids who are the other two kids well he didn't kill anybody but the one kid i mean he tried to i mean like why did he why did he give the two candies to other two kids well like i said maybe it's trying to be a diversion to be like see it wasn't just my kids it was oh. the it was the Henderson boys as well like oh like oh yeah yeah like uh fucking ugh. yeah real monsters exist that is absolutely horrible oh my god check your children's candy well I mean, jesus do you All have right. to check your children's camry because he did it to his own kid all right that's not we're, we're moving on. That's a terrible thing. Yeah, Number yeah. three. Number three, Halloween candy. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Up until the mid 20th century, the treats children received were not necessarily candy. Things like fruit, nuts, coins, and toys were just as likely to be given out. Trick-or-treating rose in popularity in the 1950s, and it inspired candy companies to market small, individually wrapped candies. People began to favor the confections out of convenience, but candy did not dominate at the exclusion of all other treats until the 1970s when the parents started fearing anything unwrapped. With good raisin. Candy corn. Uh, Candy maker at the Wonderl Company, candy company in Philadelphia, is sometimes credited with inventing the tri-colored candy in in the 1880s. But candy corn did not become a widespread sensation until the Golitz Company bought brought the candy to the masses in 1898. Damn, it's been around a while. Yeah, it has. That's why it tastes like wax. <laughs> I honestly like. I enjoy it. Candy corn was originally called chicken feed, and it sold in boxes with the slogan "Something worth crawling for." Ha <laughs> ha! Those cheeky bastards. <laughs> initially, it was just. An autumnal, ca- an autumnal candy because of corn's association with harvest time. Candy corn later became Halloween-specific when trick-or-treating grew in popularity in the U.S. during the 1950s. I mean, that's been a staple at my house. There was always, There's always candy corn on the table. Well, candy corn just feels like, uh, it does feel like Halloween. It makes sense that it was a autumn candy at first, though, right? Because it's, it's not just candy corn. Like, they ha- they do have the little pumpkins and then some, you know. But, yeah, 
It's I the like harvest. Halloween. Yeah. yeah so, but like everything in the harvest festivals, it becomes Halloween, which I am okay with. I'm not, yeah. a, I'm not a fan of candy corn. I know you just said you were. It, I, I like it. It's just pure horrid sugar and, and all carbs. It's terrible for you, but it just I feels like a it. little waxy to me. Like oh, the totally old is. wax lips. That's what I re- remember, you know? Maybe if I didn't, you know, because it was always available when I was a kid. So, of course, I ate it. So, I think maybe if I never, like, my kids like it. Whenever my kids come over, they always eat it. Yeah, fair enough. To me, it's like the uh, the old person candy where you have like the really hard caramels in a glass dish. Yep, yep. That's how we do. That's how we used to do over at my grandma's house. Or those hard strawberry candies, and they have this kind of like strawberry jelly in the middle. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. an old person candy. Or the peanuts, the orange peanuts. Those were gross. <laughs> I uh, my mom loves those. My grandpa loved those. They're so disgusting. They're, uh, they're called circus, circus peanuts. peanuts. Yeah, yeah, circus peanuts. Yeah, they're basically marshmallow. They do the same thing on Easter. They have they make them bunnies and they dye them different colors, but it's the same and thing. Peeps. Yeah, I, well, I'm not a fan of the marshmallow candies. Well, I like peeps because peeps are actual marshmallow, where this other thing is just kind of like a marshmallow styrofoam byproduct. <laughs> it's so gross. So gross. Number oh, four. Number four in Halloween tales. Tragic Halloween explosion. In 1963, many Hoosiers decided. I think it's Hosers. Hosers decided to spend Halloween night at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. All right, right, let's just start that over. You got to real. You got to. You got to get a better flow. Take a breath. Tragic Halloween explosion in 1963. Many hosers decided to spend Halloween night at the Indiana State Fairgrounds Coliseum watching a holiday on ice skating exhibition. Unbeknownst to them, a rusty tank in the concession area began to leak gas. The room, which lacked ventilation, quickly filled with the gas. As the skaters performed their grand finale, the gas reached an electric popcorn maker triggering a huge explosion. 74 people were killed and nearly 400 were injured. All right, so I think the main takeaway of this story is they didn't realize they were in a Final Destination movie. That was, that's fucked up, bro. Like, yeah, like, like what are the odds that that happened? <laughs> well, but... that's what I'm saying. That's such an absurd circumstance of things to happen. Like, like, yeah, like no one opened the door. Like everything stayed perfectly sealed. Like the gas was, was able to reach the popcorn maker on the other end of the room. That's why I'm saying it's a Final Destination movie. Like someone in that room uh, survived a tragedy and maybe this was it, but it caused a series of events and it'll come out next year. It was the char, man. It char was the char, man. Char, man. <laughs> oh, running naked. Oh, no. Ready? It's horrifying. Ready for the next one? No, I'm not. I want to talk more about an explosion. Sad, and they will be missed. Continue. Yeah, 400 injured. Jesus Christ. That sucks. That is, that is so many people. That is such an even number. Anyways. Oh, I mean, you assume they I'm have kidding. to estimate. Yeah, just kidding. <laughs> kidding. Uh, why haunted houses open during the Great Depression? Hold on. What if there was 401, but two people got blown in half, so they counted them as one? It was the char, man. Okay, you got to go back to the charm, You're not going to get me to gonna, crack up anymore. It was on him. Yeah, all right, all right. All right. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? If he was in the fire. Maybe that's in the fourth origin to the charm story. That would suck. So he was, like, reincarnated just to burn again. He's the final destination character. All right, it all makes sense, guys. That's what we call going full circle. That's right. All right, number five. Why haunted houses open during the Great Depression? 
in the period leading up to the Great Depression, Halloween had become a time when young men could blow off steam and cause mischief. Sometimes they went too far. In 1933, parents were outraged when hundreds of teenage boys flipped over cars, sawed off telephone poles, and engaged in other acts of vandalism across the country. People began to refer to that year's holiday as Black Halloween, similarly to the way they referred to the stock market crash crash four years earlier as Black Tuesday. Rather than banning the holiday, as some demanded, Many communities began organizing Halloween activities and haunted houses to keep restless would-be pranksters occupied. That's a smart idea. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, what? What? Sorry, it's just kind of funny, right? Because it's just like, all right, kids, don't flip the cars. Go into that shed and like get spooked. Like, yeah, go, what? Walk, walk through this house while we scream at you. And... <laughs> it's like that is a hard sell. I mean, do you think they sold it as like, no, this is actually a haunted house? Or, or was it just the concept of just being like, all right, now now bear with me. You're going to go in the house and we put up some like decorations and there might be a guy who jumps out and tries to freak you out. And it is way, way better than mass vandalism. Just saying. I wonder how much, because, you know, I've never really worked for uh, like a big haunted attraction. I wonder if there are people who try to prank haunted attractions like. I don't know, like what like, do you mean? Grab like a stink bomb and drop it out of your pocket. Well, I'm like, sure they. The abs- I'm sure it. it absolutely happens. I have uh, an old roommate and a very good friend named Tessa, and she worked in around like Salem, Massachusetts, and did like haunted houses. Like she was part of that whole thing. That'd be huge. Yeah. Well, long story short, she threw a bunch of stories at me of like people like they have different. They have like code red and code this, code that, and I don't remember what the codes were, but it's for like people being dangerous, people having a weapon, someone being like roped you know they have like for everything and it's like yeah we got a code brown we well, got that, a code brown i'm i'm assuming that someone pooed in the attraction but i'm just saying like you know they, they got they got it worked out that's just what i'm saying is like yeah okay so you open these up but pranksters are going to be pranksters and i remember hearing about kids who would do because remember we used to have those they like they were arguably so dangerous they came in like little glass vials little glass vials anyways uh and they were they were like fart bombs there were stink bombs. Remember those? I remember the ones that were in like a little bag. And when you like crack the seal between the two pouches in the bag, it like puffs up and then eventually pops. And when it pops, it's smelly. That's yeah. what I remember. I remembered seeing them in glass. Like you'd have to throw the whole ass glass thing down and it would literally smell like ass. Well, I, that, that <laughs> probably was the original one, right? Dude, Every- those were <laughs> those were brutal, right? Well, I bet they'd still make them that way. Not because they're dangerous, but because it was more expensive. So now we have a little bag. But I, I am kind of bummed I didn't hit any haunted houses this year. I, I don't know. I didn't really just, I didn't have the time. But I do enjoy a haunted house. I do too. I told the story last week of the terrible haunted house experience I had. But normally I do really enjoy one. But we, you know, we, uh, our two families went to the zoo. And then I, uh, I did Greenfield Village, which was basically, it's holiday And it's nights. all Halloween themed. It's Halloween themed. They had Headless Horsemen going around. They had ghouls. It was a lot of fun. It really was. And it was nice because uh, the baby, you know, we can't have him out during Christmas, which we normally do the holiday nights. So this being a Halloween event, it wasn't as cold and we could take him. So that was kind of nice. Was Captain Hook and Shmee there? They were there when I was there talking. I did not see Captain Hook and Shmee. I think they might do different things on different days. I did see uh, Wizard of Oz folk. So, nice. Yeah, nice. and Alice in Wonderland folk. So that makes sense. I think they were going more whimsical when we were there. Yeah, I mean, it's it's family fun. You know, it's a family place, but we love it. Totally. We love it. Totally. 
All, All right. right. So our final thing for tales of Halloween history, number six. <laughs> Why witches fly on brooms. The evil green skin witch flying on her magic broomstick may be a Halloween icon and a well-worn stereotype, but the actual history behind how witches came to be associated with such an everyday household object is anything but dull. The earliest known image of witches on brooms dates to 1451, when two illustrations appeared in the French poet Martin Lefranc's manuscript Les Champions des Dames, The Defender of Ladies. The association between witches and brooms may have roots in a pagan fertility ritual in which rural farmers would leap and dance astride poles, pitchforks, or brooms in the light of a full moon to encourage the growth of their crops. This broomstick dance became confused with common accounts of witches flying through the night on their way to orgies or other illicit meetings. Tell me, if you're going to an orgy, you're not going to be riding no broom. No one wants to have sex with you when you got bugs in your teeth and your hair's all messed up. So I'm just saying, there's some holes in that story. Everyone knows when you go to orgies, you take an Uber. I mean, uh, <laughs> isn't there, you know, isn't there, there's a joke, right? Uh, why, why don't witches wear panties? <laughs> oh, my God. This is going to be horrible. Go ahead. So they can grip the broom. Oh. Uh... That's rough, bud. That's rough. That's rough. <laughs> All right. But hey, no. And... That was that was a cringy one. Oh, come on. Come on. Oh, all right. Anyways. All right. But no, uh, I always thought that uh, that's why they associate cats and stuff like that with witches was because what I thought, because, I mean, it was back in the 1400s. I thought it was like during the Black Plague, the, uh, you know, that was spread by fleas that were on the rats. Well, if you had cats you didn't have rats therefore you lived so a lot of people would see uh homeless women you know like basically like you know women who never married or whatever still living they would accuse them of being a witch because how could you have survived the plague and that's why it was all associated and maybe even the broom they were shoot you know to shoo out the rats that's what i thought so that was well there might be something to that i haven't heard that but all of that's very plausible so i mean i imagine you picked up the information somewhere the book and internet something she has got a walk, but like that's why they had like they were homely. You know, they were women that were unmarried, so they lived by themselves. Not everyone cats. who's unmarried is homely. But bud. I'm just saying, generally saying, you know, back then I'm sure not everybody was that great. So I can only imagine what an ugly person. I'm pretty back sure then nobody like. was that great back then. That's bud. what I'm saying. So you imagine an ugly person by back then standards, then you, that's what I'm talking about. But like that, that that's. That's where I always assumed that's where it came from was like a black plague thing. They had a cat to drive off the rats, so they survived. And everybody's like, a witch. Well, like I said, I'm not sure if that's a thing, but you know what? It sounds cool. It's very plausible. Hey, I'm down with it. So we'll just call that an alternate origin story. I like it. I like it. Excellent. Well, that's it for Tales of Halloween History, which brings us to our next segment. The Halloween Movie Trivia Game. So, this game is on Trick or Treat, the wonderful film, which uh, I, it's an anthology, and we really enjoy it. And it is our Halloween film of the day. So, here we go. Probably, well, it's probably one of my favorite of, like, the new Halloween movies. It's probably my favorite. 
it's pretty good, I must say. Uh, so I don't want to talk too much about the movie because I don't want to inadvertently give you an answer to any question you may or may not know. Oh, we wouldn't want that now, would we? But we got 10 questions here, and if you've uh, seen the movie before, man, play at home. All right, here we go. Ryan! That's me. Number one. Emma ignores Henry's warning and breaks a Halloween tradition. What does she do? A. Ring a bell three times. B. Wears a stupid costume. C. Blows out a jack-o'-lantern. Or D. Eats all the candy. That would be blows out the jack-o'-lantern. That is correct! In fact, that is what she does to piss off the Halloween spirits. Very oh, good. that dumb, dumb lady. Dumb lady. All right, Ryan, number two. In which year was the movie Trick or Treat released? Was it A, 2004, B, 2005, C, 2006, or D? 2007. Uh, seven. Oh, yes! Woo! I, I, knew it it. Was, I knew it was recent-er, but damn, it's that old? Well, yeah, recent-er, is, er. that's 16 years old, bud. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. And that brings us to question number three. What story does Macy tell at the quarry? Is it A, the Halloween School Bus Massacre. B. Halloween Holocaust. C. The Corn May. Wait. The Corn Maze Monster. Excuse me. That one just threw me. <clears throat> C. The Corn Maze Monster. Or D. Bloodbath of Blemish Hollow. That's definitely A. The School Bus. Yes, that is correct. So the school bus massacre is a local urban legend, and that is, in fact, what Macy tells to the rest of the kids at the quarry. All right, number four. Who directed Trick or Treat? A, Sam Raimi. B, <laughs> Michael Doherty. C, Jason Blum. Or D, John Carpenter. Michael Doherty. That is also correct. I'm not going to hit the cheer every time. Thank Yay! You. <laughs> All right, you're doing good, man. I, I had a feeling you'd ask that, so I made sure to look it up. Of who directed it? Yeah, I had a feeling. Well, you know, it's it's a good question. All right. Ma he, he directed and wrote it. Yes, he did. He also did Krampus. Krampus? Krampus. That's right. That's, I like Krampus. Yeah. All right. Macy and her friends play a nasty prank on Rhonda. Who survives that ordeal a nobody b just Rhonda. c Rhonda and sarah or d zach and miri just Rhonda. just Rhonda is correct i am gonna push button hey. all right ryan we are at question six what is the name of Anna Paquin's character in the film? A. Maria. B. Danielle. C. Janet. Or D. Lori. Uh, Janet? No. Uh, so who, who was, what character was that? Lori. Her name was Lori. Uh, 
man. Yeah, and I'm glad I got one, you know, one here because it seems like these games you're either super good or absolutely terrible. It's kind of funny how like black and white it is. <laughs> I'm trying to do it. I, I didn't study this one too much. Well, you know what? You're doing great. Number seven. What is Lori's costume? A. Rapunzel. B. Cinderella. C. Little Red Riding Hood. Or D. A werewolf. Oh yeah, Little Red Riding Hood. That's right. Now I know who it is. Okay, okay. It took me a second to put the face, but yeah. Well done. All right. Now, how does Mr. Wilkins die? Do you need to repeat? How does Principal Mr. Wilkins die? Does that help? All right. Yeah. A, murdered at the Halloween parade. B, killed by Sam. C, Killed by the ghost of the children from the tragic bus accident. Or D, killed by Lori. Killed by Lori. That is correct. Uh, yeah, so for those who have not seen the film, spoilers, uh, you, sh you know, you sh really shouldn't be listening to this quiz if you haven't seen the film. Anyways, uh, Lori turns into a werewolf, spoiler, and eats the shit out of her would-be attacker principal wilkins and i thought that it was sexy as hell in a weird way because they like found out how to do werewolf transformation sexy like they're stripping their skin yeah that was a very good twist i, I liked it it felt very tip of the hat to uh a lot of the because it was all puppetry you know to uh, american werewolf in london yeah, yeah yeah well i know what you're saying it's costumes it's it's makeup it's puppetry yeah, yeah I, I agree i really like that all right, so we only have two questions to go. And so far, I'm pretty sure you got them all but one right. So far. So you're doing good. What weapon does Sam use to kill Emma? A, an axe. <coughs> B, a lollipop. C, a jack-o'-lantern. Or D, a butcher's knife. Lollipop. Lollipop is correct. All right, bud. Final question. Principal Wilkins goes out in a costume and continues his killing spree. What character is he dressed as? A, a vampire. B, the Phantom of the Opera. C, Darth Vader. Or D, Fuzz from the acclaimed series Fuzz and Malloy. Oh, man, this is a tough one. I know. <laughs> uh, I'm going to have to say vampire. And vampire is, in fact, correct. So that is right, Ryan, for our Halloween quiz game on the film Trick or Treat, you got 9 out of 10. So way to go, bud. Hell yeah. Killing it. So next week and uh, sporadically, I'm not sure if it'll actually happen next week, but we're going to get other contestants in on these games. So next week, the goal is to have another game on a film video game franchise or something else along those lines with a special guest. So, guys, that brings us to a new segment, and this is uh, this segment's going to come up every time it is appropriate, and that is very uh, cheekily called... Remember that guy? Remember that gal? Well, now they're dead. Night Court star Richard Mull. Richard Mull has died. Possessed of both a massive frame and a powerful voice, Mole was best known for his work as Bailiff Bull Shannon on Night Court. 
spending eight years in the cast of the NBC sitcom before ending the series by being voluntarily abducted by aliens, as one does. <laughs> Night Court sounds awesome. <laughs> in addition to his physical performances, Mole was also well known, uh, a well-known voice actor. Among other credits, he was a key part of Batman, the animated series, playing the groundbreaking cartoons version of famed Batman villain Two-Face. Per Variety, Mole died on uh, Thursday at his home in Big Bear, California. He was 80. Richard Mole will be missed. Okay, the guy lived in Big Bear. Big Bear's nice. It's nice. He's up on a mountain hanging out. Uh, yeah, cool. cool. Well, I mean, he's dead now, so he's not. Yeah. Um, but, nope, yeah, no, honestly, <laughs> honestly, though, uh, we, we try to have fun because, un, you know, death is a hard, tragic thing. It really is. It's hard for people who knew the person involved. It's hard for fans. And, it, honestly, it's there's no way around it, though. It's such a part of life. And I feel like you need to have a little bit of levity. You need to joke about it a little bit. So that's why we're trying to be fun here. But the truth is, all of these people will be missed, and we mean nothing but the utmost respects to them, their families, and their career. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's crazy, you know, I never heard the guy's name before, but I knew his voice is Two-Face in Batman. I totally watched that. Well, you know, who knows what your your work touches, who it touches, you know what I mean? Because it's like we were older, um, excuse me, younger, so we didn't watch Night Court. And, right. you know, so that's how we knew him. It it's makes pretty sense. cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool when you when you see someone who, you know, can span their career among, like, so many generations. It is. What it a is. legacy. What a legacy. R.I.P., dude. All right. All right. Shaft. Shaft. Star. Richard Roundtree dies at 81. Richard Roundtree, an icon of black exploitation film who starred as Detective John Shaft in Gordon Park's 1971 action thriller, died Tuesday afternoon after a short battle with pancreatic cancer. He was 81 years old. His death was confirmed by Patrick McMinn, his manager since 1987. Uh, Richard's work and career served as a turning point for African-American leading men in film, McMinn said in his statement. The impact he had on the industry cannot be overstated. Richard Roundtree will be missed. And of course he will. I mean, who doesn't know Shaft? Even Shaft. if it's even if it's the Samuel L. Jackson version, he did two movies. One in the early 2000s, one uh, almost, I think, close to 2020, maybe 2019. But the point is, they were both called Shaft. <sighs> okay, just on a small tangent. Guys, quit making sequels and have it be titled the exact title of the original film. Because now we have Scream 5 being called Scream, and then we have Scream 6 afterwards. Yeah. We have... Halloween, technically. Halloween 2, because they revamped the the series and only counted the first film. So Halloween 2018 is technically Halloween 2, followed by Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. I just, it's it's annoying to me. Uh, maybe I'm alone here. I don't know. Why just come up with a different name? I, I agree. Kind of like with like the Friday the 13th reboot or whatever, they could have called it something else because it wasn't Jason's mother. So it wasn't Friday the 13th. They should have called it something else. Uh, I totally get what you're saying, and I 100% disagree. But the point is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I get what... Yeah, all right, all right. Uh, I, but all the sequels were called Friday the 13th. And... Yeah, but it was part two. Part 
Part three. I just I feel like you your example did not did not strike me as well as my. I think I did better, Ryan. You did do better. I'll admit that. <laughs> I just tried my best and apparently swing and a miss. No, not at all. I'm just being a jerk. All right. All right. All right. So uh, yeah, Shaft man, uh, Richard Roundtree will be missed. Dies at 81. You know, loved loved his work in in the clips that I saw. I knew the song. I knew the song. Shaft. Shaft. All right. Uh, sorry. Uh, this is not funny. Uh, number three, uh, Matthew Perry, friend star, dies at 54. Matthew Perry, the actor known for playing Chandler Bing on the hit NBC sitcom Friends, has died. He was 54. He was found dead Saturday in a hot tub in his Los Angeles home, law enforcement sources told the Los Angeles Times. Authorities found him unresponsive around 4 p.m., and there were no signs of foul play or drugs on the scene. So that's important because a lot of people think that he must have been drugging or drinking, and so far we don't know if that's the case. Unless he perfectly cleaned it all up and then got in there, but I have a feeling if you're that high, you're not worried about cleaning it all up. So, well, I don't know. Well, truth be told, if you were a drinker or drugger, which unfortunately we know he was, uh, sometimes you could just screw your body up. And, you know, he just, maybe he died young because his his heart or something just, just let out. I mean, we'll find out in the next coming days. This is very recent. Right. Yeah, this is. And, uh, uh, okay, uh, Perry gained international recognition for his role as the uh, fast on his feet, 20-something Chandler on Friends, which ran for 10 seasons from 1994 to 2004. He earned a Primetime Emmy nomination in 2002 for his performance on the iconic sitcom. Among the six stars in the Friends ensemble, Perry was ambitious as a performer and a producer, but he also grappled with a long struggle with substance abuse that stunted his career. Later in life, particularly with his 2022 book, Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing, a memoir, Perry focused much of his energy on using his experience to help others stay sober. Matthew Perry will be missed. And you know what, Ryan? Uh, I know we both agree that it's surprisingly for us, it is not, and maybe not surprisingly, it's not Friends we're going to remember. We're going to remember a film called Almost Heroes. Which I have referenced in the past two episodes. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I'm like, yeah, honestly, that's where I, I, I laugh too, where I'm like, it's funny. Yeah, the most memorable role of his for me is Almost Heroes. So Almost Heroes, uh, Matthew Perry played opposite Chris Farley, and it was like one of Chris Farley's last films. And they uh, they play an expedition team that are trying to beat Lewis and Clark across, <laughs> across the country to get to the... Uh, Pacific Ocean. Yes. You know, they're basically trying to do what Lewis and Clark did before Lewis and Clark. And it's one of, it's arguably like a nostalgia film. (laughs) Chances are, if you didn't see it, like when it came out, when you know, when you're our age, if you were to watch it now, you'd be like, what the hell? Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure the kids today would find a lot of problems with it, but it is so funny. It's stupid. It's really stupid. That's what I, it's, but it is yeah. so funny. I mean, it's a Chris Farley film. So if you know anything about Chris Farley films, expect that. You know what's funny though? It's one that a lot of people missed. So if you like Chris Farley and you're like, oh, there's something maybe I haven't seen, maybe that's it. It's a great, great movie. Uh, it, there's a character named Bidwell. Yes, Bidwell. Bidwell. We're not going to talk more about Bidwell, but he's the greatest part of the film. Can you hear me? Yes, 
Yes, I can hear you. It's because he's standing right. Let's get some sleep. Yep, yep, yep. It has just... nothing to do with the fact that his ear was removed by a by the Frenchman bit it off. Who is Eugene Levy? That was Jim's dad from American Pie. That's <laughs> right. And it, yes, he was there. How about I will put a hole in your hairy French ass? Ha <laughs> Anyways, Matthew Perry. Dude, he will be missed. He really, really will be missed. And it's so strange yet yeah, because he just did that big documentary kind of confessional thing where or interview, whatever it was, where he basically. It was a yeah, book. Oh, OK. Well, I'm, I it just was probably thought, the tour for the book. Probably. Yeah. And yeah, I just saw him talking about it. And yeah, it was it was pretty, pretty intense. Like who knew he was struggling that hard? Well, you know what? Uh, I hope that, you know, he had a peaceful passing and uh, anyone he left behind is, you know, taken care of and comforted at this hard time. But all right. So that's it, guys. And now we are jumping into our final segment of the show. Earthling Entertainment Headlines. My hero, Jack Black, flaunts his flexibility and his underwear while singing a Taylor Swift song at a fundraiser. This comes to us from Entertainment Weekly. At the Give Backular Spectacular fundraiser event in Los Angeles, the School of Rock actor donned nothing but socks and his tidy whities er, tidy rainbows? I guess they were rainbow tidy whities As he took song requests, he eventually settled on Taylor Swift's Antihero, insisting, Yes, I know that one. Everyone knows that effin' song. The Tenacious D singer proceeded to belt the chorus of Taylor Swift's song without accompaniment, showing off his flexibility with high kicks as he sang to the crowd. And despite his insistence that he knew the song, he quickly descended into his signature gibberish singing after appearing to forget the lyrics. Black also rejected a request for a different song because we're in a strike presumably because the song in question was tied to one of the actor's films. They were and probably asking him to do Peaches. Probably. Yeah. And SAG-AFTRA members were not permitted to promote their past or future work until the end of the strike. He also said, you don't have to film it on your phone to a member of the audience, but the clip still made its way to social media anyway. The Give Bacular Spectacular was... The Give Bacular Spectacular. The Give Bacular Spectacular. That's a fantastic name. Was organized to raise funds for crew members impacted by the ongoing SAG-AFTRA strike and the recently wrapped WGA strike, which shut down the production for most of Hollywood's movies and television series. Organized by Union Solidarity Coalition, the event raised over $500,000 according to the organization's social media page. The event also featured appearances by Brian Cranston, LeVar Burton, Lily Tomlin, Pat Oswalt, and numerous other entertainers. Yeah. So, I mean, that's cool because the strike, I mean, when someone's striking, it affects everyone in that company. Some people, you know, may deserve it. Some people don't deserve it. There are people who get laid off simply because another branch in that same company is striking. And it's really rough. So it's nice to see that the actors are like, okay, these crew members, these people who are also out of work, you know, let's give back to them. And I, th- I just think that's great. I, those things need to happen. 
And kudos to Jack Black for having, you know, having the clarity to be like, nope, sorry, that promotes a film, can't do that. Yeah, we can't promote a film if the if the song in question, which once again I, I presume was Peaches, is uh, for that song. I guess it could be uh, one of his School of Rock songs say, that are like from been, School of Rock. Yeah, uh, you're not hardcore unless you, you live hardcore. hardcore. Yeah, because <laughs> the tale of, of the, the rent, rent is way hardcore. Classic, classic. Like, like, dude, I fucking love Jack Black. I know you do, and you always have. You know, uh, one of his more recent albums, the the Phoenix one. What is it called? Uh, the newest one was Post Apocalypse. Yeah, but I'm asking but, the uh, Rise of the Phoenix was yes. the last one. Okay, so that one, there's a song uh, which is called Roadie. I really like the Roadie song. And uh, they did. They got a. They got a Grammy for one of the songs on the. I believe it was a cover. Really interesting. A yeah. cover of what? I want to say it was a cover of uh, Dio. It was Dio. That makes sense. I could totally see them. And they had a flute. Okay. Uh, They literally had like a flute solo in it. And that was kind of the joke for a bit. It's like, oh, to get a metal Grammy, you got to make sure you have a flute solo. Because I believe before that one, the uh, the old band that plays the flute, uh, his name escapes me. But it's like that Jethro Tull. Jethro Tull won the best metal band. And all he does is play a fucking flute. I, I I know nothing about this. I have no comments. But you know, wow, cool. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll I might make a little article about that just because that would be a funny thing to visit. Right on. Just make sure you fact check. I will. I won't be able to know. I, <laughs> I know. I, I will make just, shit up. You could. You could have a whole story <laughs> and just tell me about music, and I'd just be like, "That is interesting. I had no idea Levy Levy Kravitz was an Inuit." And you I, never will. Ha ha. Number two. Bobby, the world's oldest dog ever, dies aged 31. This comes to us from BBC News. The world's oldest dog ever has died at the age of 31 years and 165 days. Guinness World Record holder Bobby, a purebred Raffero do Alentejo, passed away at his home in Portugal on Saturday. His death was announced on social media by a veterinarian who met Bobby several times. Despite outliving outliving every dog in history, his 11,478 days on earth would never be enough for those who loved him, wrote Dr. Karen Becker. Bobby became both the world's oldest living dog and the oldest dog ever in February, beating an almost century-old record for the later for the latter title wow that's an old puppy i mean that is an old puppy right i mean 31 wow that's that's crazy the poor old thing <laughs> the previous oldest dog ever was australia's bluey who died in 1939 at the age of 29 years and 5 months bobby's grand old age was validated by the portuguese government's pet database which is managed by the National Union of Veterinarians. Bobby lived his whole life with the Costa family in the village of Conqueros near Portugal's west coast, after being born with three siblings in an outbuilding. Lionel Costa, who was eight years old at the time, said his parents had too many animals and had to put the puppies down, but Bobby escaped. Bobby. Mr. Costa and his brothers kept the dog's existence a secret from their parents until he was eventually discovered 
and became part of the family who fed him with the same food that they eat. Ah, so all those preservatives, that's what did it. Probably. Apart from a scare in 2018 when he was hospitalized after suddenly collapsing due to breathing difficulty, Mr. Costa said in February that Bobby had uh, enjoyed a relatively trouble-free life and thought the secret to his longevity was the calm, peaceful environment he lived in. However, he had experienced trouble walking and worsening eyesight prior to his death. Bobby was not the only dog owned by Mr. Costa to live a long life. Bobby's mother lived to the age of 18, while another of the family's dogs died at the age of 22. So these people, like, know the secret to good long, diet long, for dogs. Well, yeah. Speaking of which, dude, uh, seven years for every one year, right? Yeah. That means that dog died at 217. That's insane. <laughs> that is an old dog. That's crazy. Right? Yeah, that blows my mind. Well, good for that dog. Yeah. You did it. You did it. <laughs> I got nothing else. You got anything to add? I mean, I'm happy no, that dog R. I. P. did R.I.P. Bobby. Yeah. You will be missed, Bobby. I'm sure I'm sure that, that he will. All right. Uh, moving on. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe producing documentary about paralyzed Harry Potter stunt double. This comes to us from IGN.com. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe is executive producing a new documentary about his former Harry Potter stunt double, David Holmes, who was left paralyzed after an accident on the set of Deathly Hallows Part 1. As reported by Deadline, HBO Documentary Films and Sky are behind David Holmes' The Boy Who Lived, which will tell the story of the prodigious teen gymnast who starred as Radcliffe's stunt double in the first six Harry Potter films until a tragic accident occurred on set, leaving him paralyzed with a debilitating spinal injury. Ugh. Talk about a thankless job. Well, yeah, but and it, it is an important job. The documentary will share more about his experiences living with adversity and growing up presenting candid personal footage shot over the last decade, behind-the-scenes material from Holmes' stunt work, scenes of his current life, and intimate interviews with David Radcliffe, friends, family, and former crew. Uh, Holmes celebrated the announcement of the documentary on Instagram, writing, finally the day has come. I can now share with you the secret project and four years hard work that has gone into creating the film The Boy Who Lived. Uh, being a stuntman was uh, my calling in life, and doubling Harry was the best job in the world. In January 2009, I had a stunt rehearsal accident that changed my life forever. This film tells the story of not just my achievements in front of the camera, but also the challenges I face every day in my overall attitude to life after suffering a broken neck. He added, uh, further, further acknowledging the united love and support he, he has had. Radcliffe and Holmes formed an inextricable bond on the Harry Potter films, and the actor and stunt double have collaborated on several projects since. The two previously joined forces to launch, launch a podcast in 2020 called Cunning Stunts, highlighting the extraordinary work of Hollywood stunt coordinators and performers. David Holmes, The Boy Who Lived, is directed by Dan Hartley. The documentary will premiere on HBO on November 15th and will be available to stream on Max. 
It will also be available on demand on Sky Documentaries and now from November uh, 18th. Wow, I mean, just that's a stand-up thing to do, right? Can you, how bad would you feel? Because if he was in the first six movies, that means he grew up with you since he was like 11. So you guys grew up together because he's on set to double you. So you're going to see him all the time. And it really just speaks to <laughs> Radcliffe's, you know, character. He's a good guy. I mean, he always seemed like a good guy. He's a, he's in a show called Miracle Workers, which is kind of like a American Horror Story where each season is its own kind of anthology. And this year it's apocalyptic, so it's kind of like a Mad Max. Very good. Very good. Very fun show. I, I like all of his, his bizarre work he's been doing. He's done a lot of crazy things. Plays a dead body in Swiss Army Man, which it, was amazing. It was so gross, but so funny. <laughs> that whole film was weird. I liked it. Of course you did. I'm sure you did. (laughs) I like the weird movies. What can I say, man? Like, if you find some kind of unique thing, I'm just, I'm so in it. There's uh, uh, Bubba Hotep, one of my favorite films, which is a retired Elvis who faked his death and didn't actually die, and a JFK who was saved after being shot but then turned into a black man and put in a wheelchair, and they're in a retirement home fighting a mummy. That is a good film. It, it was definitely a film. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Speaking of films, our fourth headline is on topic for this being a wonderful Halloween episode. Trick or Treater 2, sorry, Trick or Treat 2 will include a proper nemesis for Sam, says Michael Doherty. Michael Doherty is missing his, the Y. Yeah, that well, was not it, my fault. Some, I was reading it. Sometimes it happens, man. All sometimes right. there's typos. This comes to us from Collider. Well, shame on you, Collider. The long-awaited Trick or Treat sequel is finally escaping the development hell, and Michael Doherty has big plans for his adorable little demon Sam. Back in 2022, the director announced at Beyond Fest that the follow-up was in development, though he didn't give away any details of what to expect in the new anthology. During a screening of his Halloween classic and Q&A session for Scary Perry's horror series at Landmark Theaters, he was able to dish on one particular detail regarding his burlap sack donning trick-or-treater. He revealed to Collider's Perry Nemiroff that this time around, Sam will have a new enemy to square off against. Technically, Sam already had one foe whom he scrapped with in the original film, Brian Cox, the secession star that played Mr. Creed, Mr. Krieg, the old and grouchy next door neighbor to Dylan Baker's murderous principal, Stephen Wilkins. He fails to obey the rules of Halloween, scaring kids off with his dog rather than giving them candy, which is enough to land him on the wrong end of Sam's sharp jack-o'-lantern lollipop. The rub is he's not much of a challenge for the little demon in the end, and Sam ultimately threatens him into handing out treats and respecting the holiday. You gotta respect the holiday. Doherty says that Trick or Treat 2 would feature someone who's an even more formidable foe for Sam. The working title is Trick or Treat 2. (laughs) Well, you guys really worked on that one. (laughs) And we came up with a proper nemesis for Sam, and that would give Brian Cox a run for his money, he revealed. Uh, Sam is the connective tissue that helps make trick-or-treat so special. Rather than be a malevolent force in the vein of another slasher villain, like Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees, 
He's a good boy working as an enforcer of Halloween and Samhain traditions as the citizens of Warren Valley encounter real monsters. If you respect him and the Halloween spirit, he respects you. Thanks to the adorable design with the creepy edge of brutal holiday punishment, Sam has become a fan favorite and is practically associated with the season. A Halloween hater capable of going toe-to-toe with him would have their work cut out for them, though as Krieg proved, he is also nigh-immortal and unrelenting when it comes to holiday tradition. Doherty will be behind the camera once again to capture Sam's new adventures and inevitable battle with a new grumpy Halloween foe, and he's bringing back much of the team that helped design the original trick-or-treat. Additionally, he brought aboard his cramp Krampus. I said it. Krampus writer uh, co-writers. I like Krampus. I do too. That's because it's spelt that way. Uh, co-writers Todd Casey and Zach Shields to help pen the script for the anthology sequel. Although it's in active development, don't expect to see Trick or Treat two anytime soon, as Doherty still needs to hash out production details with Legendary before they can even consider casting. Okay, so that means it's not fucking happening. That means he's like, oh, I wrote a script because he's the writer and director, right? So production details, you know what that means? He's trying to get financing. He's trying to get someone to pay for it. That is, I mean, I could be wrong, but that that feels like just a director who's like, we're going to do this. And, you know, he might, but that doesn't mean it's happening soon. We'll see. Uh, The sequel will have a lot to live up to in that department, considering... The original had Cox and Baker alongside Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin. Why can't you remember that woman? I don't know. Anna Paquin. She was rogue in the uh, X-Men. Yes, she was. Leslie Bibb and Rochelle Aitz. I'm I'm assuming you spelled that wrong. I am just pronouncing names terribly today, and I will just accept it. I I have no apology for you. Well, guys, (laughs) that's it for the Halloween episode of Earthling Entertainment. That was our last headline. Uh, yeah, so, awesome. Join us next week, Ryan. Do you got anything? Uh, I had a, that was a good episode. Thank you, Joe, for getting uh, all these wonderful headlines for us together. Thanks for the game, and uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Hey, guys, so if you like this show, check out Tattered Tales. It is another podcast that we do. It is an anthology series, kind of like Tales from the Crypt, Black Mirror, Twilight Zone, one of those. So each episode is a self-contained story. It's full cast sound effects, and it's a lot of fun. That's right. Thanks for listening. I don't think this is female. I think this is hellbilly. It sounds about right. Mm-hmm. I reckon. All right. I just wanted to play the sounds right before we go. And see ya. Bye.